Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Oklahoma City, Oklahoma Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. You know, right now we have uh, our main Bible college in Colorado Springs, which is only around 600 people right now because that's all I can accommodate until I get these buildings built. But then we have 34 Bible schools that we've started all over the world. And uh, out of those, they have started 30 or 40 more Bible schools. Like our school in St. Petersburg, Russia, has already started 15 other schools. And their goal is to start uh, 1,000 Bible schools in the next five years. And they're well on the way. They've actually had a building offered to us in Estonia for one dollar that's bigger than this whole complex that I'm building. I mean, we are making an impact. My students, Mike and Carrie Pickett over there, have taken all of our television programs and translated them into Russian, and they put me on television over there. I broadcast to 160 million homes in Russia. That's 40 more million homes in Russia than we have in all of the United States with televisions. So we're reaching more people in Russia than we are here. I go over there and listen to me preach in Russian. It's awesome. And I'm, we had a couple of our Bible college students graduate from St. Petersburg, and they were out on the street holding meetings and evangelizing, just raised a couple of people from the dead on the streets who died, and just lead people to the Lord. Amen. I know some of you think, man, you talk about that a lot. I think it's awesome that we're seeing the miraculous power of God manifests like this. And, you know, some people think, well, they just must be special individuals. We have this thing in the body of Christ that we think only certain people are really anointed. And I don't know the motive behind this. I don't want to say, you know, that this is intentional. I don't know why it happens, but I, here's one of the bad things about that. It has made the body of Christ dependent upon the ministry. I think sometimes it's done intentionally to keep it so that you have to have us for you to make it. It's an insecurity thing on the part of ministers, but truly a good minister should be preaching himself out of a job. You ought to be raising up people who do a better job than you do. You know, people come to our Bible college because they've seen me on television and they want to come and they want to get this word because it's changing their life and they don't know who else is there. And then after they get there, they, I've had this happen hundreds of times and they come and they say, man, you used to be my favorite, but now Barry Bennett is my favorite. <laughs> and then now Paul Milligan is my favorite and now Dwayne Sheriff is my favorite. And they just, and they fall in love with all of these other people. And I think that's great. If I can raise up people who are doing what I'm doing better, well then praise God, that's awesome. And I tell you, we need to get away from just thinking that there's only certain individuals that can operate in the supernatural power of God. I'm gonna make a statement here and some of you will disagree with this and you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not gonna agree with you or we'd both be wrong. <laughs> but this is a true statement that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, if you're educated, uneducated, if you've got charisma, if you've got good looks, if you, whatever. If you would come 
and sit under the word for three years, I can guarantee you, we'll turn you into a person that can raise the dead, see the blind eyes open. You can walk in the power of God. It is not certain individuals. It's like, a, I think it's either the bees or the ants. I forget which one it is, but the queen. You know, it's just a regular worker bee or ant. I forget exactly which, which one this is, but they're just a normal ant. They're fed a special diet, this royal jelly. And that's what turns them into the, to the queen of the hive. And it's the exact same thing. It's the Word of God. If you feed on this, it'll change you. And I guarantee you, Jesus said, whoever, whoever, anyone who believes on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. And that is not just speaking to the five-fold ministry. That's talking to Jane Doe, John Blow, Christian. Every one of you could go out and operate in the supernatural. And let me just say it this way. If you aren't operating in the supernatural, you're superficial. God called you to walk in the supernatural power of God. And as I travel and minister, it's not uncommon for 85, 90, 95% of the people at one of my meetings who are the fanatics. I mean, this isn't Sunday morning. This is Saturday night. You're fanatics for being out here listening to somebody in a hotel on Saturday night. And it's not uncommon for 95% of the fanatics to be sick and poor and depressed. And this is not what God made you to do. It says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Not just the one to come, but this present evil world. The Lord gave himself so that you could live a victorious life right now. There's nothing wrong with singing, you know, when we all get to heaven. But it's going to be glorious in heaven, but it's glorious right now. You don't have to wait until the sweet by and by. You can prosper in the rough now and now. <laughs> and yet the average Christian, if you were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict you. You're as sick as your neighbors. You're as poor. You're as bothered. You're as stressed out. I'm not saying any of these things to hurt, but I'm saying that the body of Christ is living below what God intended us to do. And it is so commonplace. It's so pervasive that people think that if you start talking about seeing somebody raised from the dead, which Jesus said, go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. And you say something about seeing a person raised from the dead, you go to thinking that's weird. You're weird. <laughs> this is normal Christianity is to see people's lives changed normal Christianity. Is this the lady that stopped me in the, uh, uh, out here in front of the hotel? And it was just a few years back that her husband had been in prison, but he had been for, I think you said 32 years. And they let him out because he was dying of cancer. And so they sent him home to die basically is what it was. And she brought him to one of my meetings and he got born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And he's now with Jesus, but praise God, we know where he is. You know what? That's normal. We shouldn't have to go through life like everybody else. God created you to be a winner. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We have things that most people don't know. 
And it's sad to say, but most Christians aren't manifesting the power of God. And because of that, people don't expect it. They look around and instead of using the Word of God as their standard, they kind of just survey the body of Christ and nearly everybody's sick, everybody's poor, everybody's just stressed out about the great recession. Is there all of the people that don't know Jesus? You know, there should be a difference between us and people that don't know Jesus. The Bible says we pass from death unto life. You're alive. The others are dead. You should be able to tell the difference between a corpse and a live person. Man, I was in a church one time where a person died. They called 911 and the paramedics came and they carried out half the congregation before they found the dead person. I mean, it's dead, dead, dead. Man, many churches, if anybody raised their hand, they say it's down the hall on the left. Amen. <laughs> I tell you what, we ought to be having some victory in our life. Let's turn over to 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to share something with you that if you will receive this, this could make a difference. This has direct applications to us right where we are. This is during the ministry of Elisha, the successor of Elijah. And it says in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be his bondmaid, bondservant. So let me just uh, give a little bit of background. This was different. People back then didn't have debt the way that we do. Most of, you know, if you go to most foreign countries, they don't borrow money. They don't do this because the interest rates are 50% and stuff. And people uh, buy everything on uh, cash and stuff like this. Credit was unusual. And if you did have credit, it was because of some kind of a crisis situation. And if the person died, that didn't uh, take care of your liability. They would come and take your family members as slaves and use them as indentured slaves until they paid off the thing. So, you know, we're kind of insensitive towards debt. Most people believe it's a good thing. It's not a good thing. The Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. You shouldn't do this stuff. But anyway, we've become insensitive to it and we don't uh, think about it much, but this was a bad situation. And you put your family and everybody that was associated with you at risk when you went into debt. And so this man died. Notice he was a son of the prophets. This doesn't mean he was a physical son, but in other words, the prophets, Elisha was like a father to this man. They had a school of the prophets. They had a school back then, very similar to what we have. And they were training people how to do these things. Elijah and Elisha both had schools where they trained people. And, and this woman said, you know that uh, your servant was a righteous man, a godly man. And so Elisha knew this man. So he had some relationship. And anyway, this woman came to Elisha basically putting the responsibility over on him. He was your son. You're the one that trained him. You helped me with this. I'm in a bind. My children are going to be taken away as slaves to pay this debt. And look how Elisha responded in verse 2. Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? 
You know, I can spend a lot of time on this, but just real quickly, let me say that Elisha refused to take the responsibility for this. This is important. And if any of you ever want to go minister to other people, this is one of the biggest mistakes that people make. They get excited about like healing or something and they know that it's God's will for people to be well. And so they just go out and they start telling people. They see somebody sick and they say, I'm going to get you healed. I believe it's God's will for you to be healed. And they go in and they just start commanding and trying to get people healed without even taking into account that other person's faith. Jesus, in the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, verse 5, it says, He could there do no mighty work, save that He laid His hands upon a few sick folk and healed them, and He marveled at their unbelief. If you put that together with Matthew 13, 58, over there it says, He could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. So even Jesus, who was operating in faith perfectly, could not minister to people if there was no faith present. There has to be some degree of faith present. And one of the mistakes that people make, not only ministers, but just all of us, anytime we try and share with somebody, is we try and get them healed, delivered off of our faith. I have parents come to me all the time and their children are having problems and they want me to pray and they're just believing for their children to be delivered, set free. And again, when they're little tiny, I think that's appropriate. But when they're 30 and 40 and 50 years old, you know what? That person has a more control over them than you do. But people don't understand this and they don't try and sow the Word of God and share the Word and change them. They're just going to get it off of their faith. See, Elisha refused this. When she came and she says, He's your son. We're in a bind. My children are going to be taken into debt. She tried to throw this over on Elisha, and he says, what have I to do with this? He refused to take this. You know, in this situation, it was a financial need. And even if Elisha would have had enough money to pay this debt, it would have been the wrong thing to do. Man, I could spend all night here. I got one, that's right. Did you know today there's a mindset that the way we help the poor is by throwing money at them, giving them food stamps, putting them on welfare. That's one of the worst things you can do. There was a few more of that, right? But see, people think, well, you're supposed to be compassionate. It's not compassion to just pay a person's bill. And it's compassion to help that person get back on their feet and train them how they can meet their own needs. You can help them temporarily and do things, but the whole goal of it should be to get that person back on their feet and productive. As a minister, one of the worst things you can do is do things for people. You know, I'm in a stage in my life right now where it's not about me going and praying for everybody. Typically, these are short abbreviated things, but I used to bring 30, 40, 50 of our students with us and we'll have people come forward and our students pray with them. This is what Daniel's doing in the healing school. We've trained now 400 prayer ministers and our prayer ministers are the ones that pray and they're the ones that see the blind eyes open. It's not me anymore. I'm teaching other people how to do it and that is the only way we are ever going to really affect people is to train others how to do it, to make disciples instead of just having individuals that go out and do it on their own. 
And we need to be training people how to do things. Elisha did this woman a much greater service by teaching her how to receive her miracle than him just doing it for her. And yet we've got so many people today that when they have a need, they just go to somebody, help me. They have their hand out and they get mad if somebody doesn't help them. Sometimes the best way you can help a person is to say, I'm not helping you. I'm going to teach you what to do. I'm going to show you what to do. You need to stand up. You don't need to make people dependent upon you. This is a false sense of compassion and stuff. You, you only have limited resources. Even if Elisha would have had enough money to help this woman, he wouldn't have had enough money to help the next woman or the third woman or the fifth woman. You only have limited resources. But if you will take the truths that God shows you and teach other people, well, that is limitless. What has worked for you will work for anybody. What has given you enough extras so that you have some money to share with other people, if you will take that and teach other people, then they can just continue on and you can bless thousands and thousands of people. But in our society, again, we're getting to where it's all about somebody else needs to take care of you. She tried to throw this over on Elisha. Did you know in the ninth chapter of the book of Mark, the same thing happened with the man who had the lunatic son and he came to Jesus and when he brought the boy to Jesus, he fell down on the ground and wallowed and foamed at the mouth and Jesus said, how long has this happened to him? And he said, since he was a child and sometimes he'll fall into the fire and off into the water. But if you can do anything, have mercy on us. And Jesus responded by saying, if you can believe, all things are possible. Jesus wasn't going to take full responsibility for doing that healing. He said, if you can believe, you've got to believe. Don't come and ask me to do it totally on my own. You believe. If you can believe, it's possible. Jesus refused to accept this. If Jesus, who was operating in faith perfectly, refused to just do things completely on his own. And again, I refer you to that scripture where he couldn't do, not wouldn't do, but couldn't do many mighty works in his hometown. If Jesus refused to just do things for people without any cooperation on their part, who are we to just sit here and throw money at things or to just do things for people? We need to be teaching people the truth and revealing. And we can agree with them and help them but we don't need to be doing everything for people. Elisha refused this and he said unto the woman, what shall I do for thee? And then he turned right around, tell me, what hast thou in thine house? In other words, he says, what do you have? What do you have in your house? And it's obvious from the context, he wasn't just asking, tell me everything you have because I'm sure she had a chair or a bed or something but he was asking, what a value do you have? What do you have that could get you over this situation? And this woman says, thy handmaid hath not anything in, in uh, the house save a pot of oil. And so she did a quick inventory and the only thing she had of value was just a little pot of oil. And basically she's saying it's not enough. And here is getting to the point that I'm wanting to share with you tonight. Man, if you can get this, this would change your life. Look at what Elisha said to her in verse 3. Then he said, Go, borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. 
And when thou art come in, thou shalt uh, shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shall pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. Man, this is an awesome miracle. This is a miracle. She had just a tiny bit of oil and yet under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that was guiding Elisha, he said, go borrow these vessels. He began to pour out and the oil just flowed supernaturally. It multiplied, filled all of the vessels and notice that God didn't give her just enough to meet her immediate situation but he gave her enough to pay the debt and she could sell the rest and her and her children could live the rest of their life over the abundance. God is El Shaddai, not El Cheapo. He does not barely meet your need. There's a lot of people that teach, well, God said, Philippians 4:19 that my God shall supply all of your need, not all of your wants. The word need there isn't talking about bare necessities. When Jesus multiplied the wine at the wedding feast in John chapter 2, he did the best wine and there was uh, three of these pots full of what? Eight firkins, I think is what they said. I added that up one time and it depends on how you evaluate it, but it was a minimum of 150 to 200 gallons of wine Jesus made out of water. I guarantee you, Jesus does not give you just barely enough to get by. If you would allow him, the Holy Spirit would give you a bunch. And so he, this woman looked at what she had and said it's not enough. Did you know that this is exactly, some of you may have to think a little bit with me to get this point, but this is exactly what happens to us. We are challenged with something, either physical you know, you got cancer, you got something physical that's affecting you, and we look at it as only human beings. And we look in just the natural. And we think, what do I have to be able to meet this need? And if the doctor says it's incurable, if the doctor says we don't have any more answers, we get into depression and discouragement and worry and care about stuff because we're only looking at things with our human eyes. This woman looked at her needs and she didn't make a mistake. All she had was a pot of oil. But what she missed, see, she didn't evaluate any, she didn't take any spiritual inventory at all. She had faith in God. She came to the man of God asking for a miracle. She knew that Elisha couldn't meet her need, but she was believing that Elisha had something more than just physical things. She had faith, but she didn't know exactly how to use it. And when he asked her, what do you have? She just looked at things in the natural and says, this is all I have. But the truth is she had faith. You know, there's a scripture over here in 1 John chapter 5. Look at this. This is a powerful passage of scripture. I think it's verse four. First John chapter five and verse four, for whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You've got world overcoming faith. 
Faith is the most powerful force on the planet. It is much powerful than cancer, than anything else. I had people come tonight and tell me that they had cancer. I had people tell me that they had, I forget all of the diseases, but every single disease that people told me about tonight, I've seen multiple people healed of those exact same things. The sickness is not a problem. Cancer is not a problem. HIV is not a problem. Arthritis is not a problem. Heart problems are not a problem. Nothing is hard with God. God's power is infinitely greater than what your need is. But you've got to have faith in order to be able to receive it. And most people only look at things in the natural. And when you say, well, what's the problem? They just tell you the natural thing. But see, this woman had things that she didn't list among her assets. She didn't list her faith in the Lord. She didn't say that I have the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. But the truth is, see, it's the same thing with us. We approach a situation and you look at it and you think, man, God, I'm, I'm not sufficient to be able to meet this. But the truth is, if you are born of God, you got born again by putting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that faith that you used wasn't your faith. It was the faith of the Son of God. You have been given the faith of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for that thunderous silence. <laughs> the average Christian doesn't believe that. They believe that, oh, well, I've got faith, but my faith is little tiny. Increase my faith. God help me. Jesus was asked a couple of times by his disciples to give them more faith. And every time he rebuked them and he says, you don't need more faith. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, that's enough to say unto this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would obey you. You don't need big faith. If you had enough faith to get saved, you got enough faith to see the dead raised. You got enough faith to see blind eyes open. Well, I had that faith at one time. Faith doesn't evaporate. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever had faith, it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You have the same faith that Jesus had in him. I'm trying to keep from getting off and staying here, but I've got an hour and a half's worth of teaching that would prove to you that you've got the same faith that Jesus had. You don't have a faith problem. You got a knowledge problem. Faith is based on knowledge. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things, that includes faith, that includes healing, that includes prosperity, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. If you are deficient in any area, you're deficient in knowledge, not in what God gave you. Faith is based on knowledge. And then the next verse, verse 4 says, which... Um, what does that say? Whereby are given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Excuse me, that was verse 3. Given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. This knowledge gave us these exceeding great and precious promises. The word of God is the knowledge of God. So you've already been given faith. Faith isn't the issue. The fact is we don't know what we have. I've seen a bumper sticker before that says, ignorance is bliss. That's not true. Ignorance is killing you. What you don't know is killing you. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. You got to know the Word of God. 
And so God gave us faith, but first of all, we got to get over this thing of asking God to do what he's already done. He's already given you faith. You've got to find out that you've got it and learn how to use it. And the problem isn't faith, but the problem is your unbelief. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus' disciples asked him, why couldn't we cast the demon out of this boy? And he says, because of your unbelief. Now I'm aware that if you've got the NIV, that it says because of your little faith, but that's wrong. Amen. The rest of that verse says, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, be thou cast, removed and cast into the sea, and it should obey you. It would be counterproductive. It would be contrary to his point if he says it's just because you have a little faith. Because if you only had faith as a grain of mustard seed, a little faith, see, that doesn't make sense. It's not, your un, it's not your little faith that's the problem. It's your unbelief that negates and counterbalances your faith that's the problem. And the NIV actually leaves the next verse out of the Bible. It's one of six verses it just chose not to even put in the Bible. It doesn't have Matthew 17, 21. Amen. I'm not against the NIV. It's better to read that than nothing. But I'd get a real Bible if I was you. But anyway, this woman, see, she, she just looked at it. Well, I don't have enough to meet the need. She had more than enough to meet the need. You, it just depends on whether you can see what you have on the inside of you as a born-again believer. Some of you have been told that you're going to die. And all you're doing is looking at what the doctor has to say instead of looking at what God has given you. He has given you the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And here again is the problem. Not the religious realm is telling us, oh yes, God has that power, but it's way out here in the heavenlies. And we've got to pray and get a hole in the heavens so that our prayer can get up to God past the demons. We'll say things like that prayer didn't get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayer to get above your nose. God's not out there. He lives on the inside of you. It's Christ in us. That's the reason you bow your heads when you pray, so you can look at God. Thank you, Jesus. Man, we got so many religious doctrines. Well, I know God can do anything, but oh God, I am nothing. I have nothing. Would you please stretch forth your hand? That is an insult to God. Somebody says, but I am nothing. Without Christ, I'm nothing. John chapter five, without me, you can do nothing. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace and I am never without him. It's true that if somehow or another you could take Jesus out of my life, well then, yeah, I'm nothing. I'm a zero with the rim knocked off. I'm nobody special, but I am not without Christ. He lives on the inside of me. And for me to come before God and just say, oh God, I am nothing and I have nothing, would you please move? You are insulting God. You're denying what he's done. You're ignorant of who you are. You don't understand that you're a changed person on the inside and you're only looking at your physical, natural realm. You're ignorant of who you are in Christ. In Christ, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
but we're just like this widow woman. We've got a problem and what are we going to do? I don't have anything but a tiny bit of oil. That was more than enough. And did you know that when she started pouring this out into those vessels, she said, bring me another vessel. And her son said, there isn't any more vessels. And then is when the oil stopped. God is limitless. God will never stop pouring out. God will never stop releasing the blessings. It's not God who is limited. It's us who limit God by our little containers that we are asking for. I had a guy come to me one time and he says, would you please pray for me? I'm just suffering. He says, I got this pain in my neck. It goes down through my spine. My hips hurt. I got a sciatic nerve problem. It goes into my feet. I've got neuropathy. And he just listed thing after thing after thing. And he says, but really the worst thing is the neck. If I could just get the neck healed, I could live with the rest of it. And so I looked at him and I said, well, I understand what you're saying. I mean, if we ask God to heal you from head to toe, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure God's got enough power to pull that off. Let's not ask him for too much. Let's get just enough to barely get you by. And this guy looked at me and he said, that was pretty stupid what I said. I said, it was real stupid. Man, God doesn't have a power problem pouring out. He kept pouring until there wasn't anything else to contain it. God has more than enough power for your need. It says that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it lives on the inside of you. The same power. This isn't for the super saint. This isn't just the super dupers. This is every single Christian. You have the same power living on the inside of you that raised Jesus from the dead. That ought to be enough for your headache. That ought to be enough for your hangnail, your corn, your ache, or whatever. I tell you what, we act like we're dealing with a God who's powerless. God has no problem with power. But the problem is when he says, what do you have? Well, I don't have anything. God, I have nothing. I can do nothing. I'm just, it's just totally dependent upon you. He's throwing it right back on you. And he says, what do you have? You need to say, I've got the life of God living on the inside of me. I know I've got it. You know, even if you don't know how to release the power of God, which that's another teaching, I'm not going to have time to go into that, but if you don't understand all of the things about how to release the power of God, just getting this mindset that I've got it. I don't know where it is, but I got it. I don't know how to get it out, but I got it. I don't know, I don't know anything, but I've got it. I know that I have passed from death unto life and he that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. And I am not afraid of cancer and I'm not afraid of finances. I'm not afraid of the great recession. And if you just got this attitude of I've got it, I don't know where it is, but I've got it. You know, a blind squirrel. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. You know, a blind squirrel will get a nut every once in a while if he doesn't quit. If you just knew that you had it and didn't quit and you kept resisting instead of running up a white flag and saying, oh, the doctor says I'm going to die and you start planning your funeral, etc. If you would start just saying, I know I've got it and I refuse to give in to this stuff, you know what? You'd win a lot of victories that you've been letting go. But see, we just look at things in the natural and oh, this is all I've got. I've just got this little bit. I'm not much of a person. 
You know, my sister can tell you that, man, uh, anyway, I don't want to go into all of that. <laughs> my sister and brother-in-law used to sit around and read the dictionary for fun. They're intellectuals. <laughs> I was a dummy. You know, I had nothing going for me. And when the Lord called me to minister, I was an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. And you know what? I just thought, God, how can I do this? Because I was looking at myself and something that changed my life. I had a man come listening to me one time and he came up after it was over and he says, you know, you've got some good things to say. You could really help people if you ever got to where you were more concerned about them and helping them than you are what they thought about you. Man, it was like a dagger in my heart. But after I pulled that thing out, I realized that that was right. And you know what? That's all that shyness is. It's just self-centeredness. You're thinking so much about yourself. And man, I, I started looking beyond my physical self and me stumbling over my words and my voice and all of the other things. And I started realizing that God had given me his word. I have a revelation of the Word of God that not everybody has. And the Word of God is the most precious thing that you could ever get in your life. God spoke through a donkey one time, and it wasn't because a donkey was the greatest vessel available. It was just there, amen. If God could use a donkey one time, He could use me. And I quit limiting God by looking at myself and my own inadequacies, and I started looking at what I do have. I've got a revelation of the Word of God that has transformed my life. And some of you may think, well, I don't have much. If you're born again, did you know you have a greater revelation of God than 90% of the people you'll meet? You're born again, you're going to heaven, they're going to hell. Your revelation of God is superior to them. Instead of looking at what you don't have and your own inadequacies and stuff like this, you ought to say, man, I'm born again. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you're way ahead of the vast majority of people that you meet. And you should be saying, Father, thank you. You've done some things. I'm not saying that you become arrogant thinking that there's nothing left to learn, but you've got the revelation of salvation. You are going to heaven instead of hell. That's precious. That's powerful. You got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know how to pray in tongues and turn on the power of God. Most people don't know that. You ought to quit devaluating what you don't have and start looking at what you do have. And then if you understand any of the word about healing, about deliverance, about joy, about peace, and all of these kind of things, you are way, way, way ahead of the vast majority of people that you will run across. But most of us don't look at what we have in Christ. We look at what we don't have. We look at our natural self and we criticize ourselves. And just like this woman, we're in distress because, man, we're facing disaster. The truth is, every one of you has the supernatural power of God at your disposal, and it is much, 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 much greater than any problem that you're facing. I don't care if it's a relational problem in your marriage or with your kids. It doesn't matter what you're facing. The power of God that you have is infinitely greater than whatever your challenge is. If you would quit looking at the natural and limiting yourself to the natural, and if you would begin to see who you are in Christ and what you have, and if you would begin to encourage yourself in the Lord and stand and resist these things, you would see supernatural miracles happen. 
She's the one that limited God. And so the prophet spoke and helped her to look beyond just the physical and believe God for a miracle, believe for something supernatural. And like I said before, when she ran out of vessels is when the power stopped. We need to quit limiting God. You know, the Lord spoke to me January the 31st, 2002. I won't go through the whole thing, but it was the second most important encounter I ever had with the Lord. God rang my bell and told me I was limiting him by my small thinking. And since that time, I've started dreaming big. And here we are building a $53 million campus debt-free on top of everything else that I'm doing. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I tell you what, I know that there wasn't a lack with God. The problem was me. He said, I am limiting him. And I said, I'm going to take the limits off God. And I didn't understand exactly how to do it, but I just, I called my staff together and I said, I don't know if it takes a week, a month, a year, five years to change this image on the inside. But I said, I am going to do what God called me to do. I will fulfill God's will. And I mean, within one week, my whole life changed. Within one week, my life transformed and the oil began to flow. The power of God began to flow. Not because God was not turned on and releasing his power, but I was limiting God. I had the spigot shut off. Brothers and sisters, I wish I could get this across to every one of us, but God has more for you than what you are living. There may be somebody in here that are experiencing more of God than others, but there's not a one of us, including me, anybody who has tapped God out. God is a huge God. God is a big God. He wants to flow through you in a way that your life is absolutely uh, miraculous. There is no explanation for it other than God. If you can look at your house and your car and say, I'm doing this, I work 40 hours a week, this is all my labor, then you've missed God. Some of you are thinking, well, what, what are you saying? I'm saying that you ought to be believing God and God will supply your needs supernaturally. He will supply your needs in such a way that there, you just can't figure out exactly how you're so prosperous. It's bigger than your job. It's bigger than your retirement. God just blesses you supernaturally. You can live beyond yourself. You can live to where God is your source. God is a big God. And I can guarantee you God's will for every person in here is bigger than you. If you're trying to figure out what does God want you to do and you're saying, here's my limitations and here's all I can do, well, then you've missed God. If you feel that what God has called you to do is something way beyond you, I can't do that. That's probably God. <laughs> God's going to call you to do something that's beyond you, so you'll have to be God dependent. He'll call you into an area that is your weakness so that you will have to trust Him. And when He flows through you and it is accomplished, he'll get the glory instead of you. God wants to do awesome things through you. It's us that limit God. When she ran out of vessels, that's when the supply stopped. We need to start expanding. I'm praying that tonight, God is expanding your vision and encouraging you to believe for something big. Anybody can believe for nothing. There are some of you that are shooting at nothing and you hit it every time. <laughs> the average person is honestly thinking about, let's do the thing that's the low risk. Let's take the least risk. 
They're living a safe life. They're afraid of failure. I tell you what, just being normal is failure. You need to do something special. There's a world dying and going to hell. This nation is going in the wrong direction. We need people to stand up and do something. We need some people that start believing for something and do something exceptional. And yet the average Christian is playing it too safe. I can guarantee you when you get to the end of your life, there's not going to be anybody that says, I wish I'd have taken less risk. Everybody's going to be saying, you know what? I wasted my life. I played it too safe. Brothers and sisters, there's people, I know out of this many people, there are hundreds of people sitting right here that if you didn't have restraints placed upon you, family, money, obligations, or whatever it is, if you didn't have restraints, and if you could just do whatever you wanted to do, there are hundreds of you that would do something different. You are not satisfied. You believe that there's something more for your life, and yet you allow other things to just restrict you, and you're living with a life that is not what you believe it's supposed to be. I'm telling you, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal. Every day that ticks by, you're losing an opportunity. And you ought to every day get up and just be so excited about, man, I know that this is what you created me for. I know that today I'm making it count. And there are many of you that you get up and you hate going to work. You hate Monday, Blue Monday, and then Friday, T-G-I-F. Man, if that's you, you ought to find God's will for your life. You ought to get to where you are doing something that you're making your life count and you enjoy doing it. And yet the vast majority of people are playing it too safe because of other things. You're afraid of the economy. You're afraid of this. You're afraid to do what God's put in your heart. I'd rather go for it and fail than to not go for it and succeed. I'd rather shoot at the stars and if I miss, land on the moon than shoot at nothing and hit it every time. God's put his power on the inside of us, brothers and sisters. We ought to be out here seeing the miraculous power of God, making your life count. If you aren't living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. (laughs) And it ought to be that when you die, somebody misses you instead of saying, thank God they're gone. (laughs) There are some of you that again, if you were to die, there's not very many people that miss you because it's just your little tiny circle. Not everybody's supposed to be on television and doing what I'm doing, but every one of you, there are people in your world that need to be touched and you should be out there touching them. You should be making a difference. It ought to make a difference. Your neighbors ought to know that they're living next to a person that is full of the power of God and that the supernatural power of God flows through you. Your family ought to know that there's somebody that can believe God and get miracles, and if they're in trouble, they can go to them. Man, I got so much to say. I didn't even get close to where I was intending to go. But real quickly, let me look over here in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. This is where Jesus fed the 5,000. Mark chapter 6. 
was in Luke chapter six. No wonder it didn't look right. Mark chapter six, verse 41. Jesus took these five loaves and two fish that were given unto him. You know, this is a very similar story. This woman had a need. Jesus had a need. Jesus asked his disciples, what do you have? Elisha asked the woman, what do you have? All we got is a little tiny bit of oil in a pot. The disciples said, all we've got is five loaves and two fish. What are they among so many? But Jesus took something that was insignificant to most people, certainly less than the need. And look what he did in verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. First of all, notice Jesus took what they said could never work. It was insufficient. He took it and he blessed it instead of cursing it. Most of us curse our inability. Like the Lord asks you to do something, you say, oh God, I'm not sufficient. God, I can't do it. Lord, I don't know how to do it. You're cursing yourself. You're saying it won't work. You're speaking a curse over yourself instead of speaking life. You ought to be speaking, God, I can do all things through Christ. I, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. And you ought to be blessing things. Jesus took this stuff that was insufficient and blessed it instead of cursed it. And then he looked up. And you know the word looked up here. Most people think that he just raised his head. This isn't what it's talking about. The word look up there is the Greek word anablepo. It's a compound word. The ana means again or repetition. And the word blepo means to receive sight. So this means he receives sight again or some of the commentators will say he saw twice. You know what he was doing? He didn't just raise his head. He, he had something in the natural that was insufficient for the means, for the need. But what he did was receive spiritual sight. He looked beyond the physical and he saw into the spiritual. He saw the power of God and little is much when God is in it. God can take virtually nothing. He can take you. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, that you see your calling, brethren, that not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world, the base things of the world, the things that are despised, the things that are nothing, to bring to naught things that are. God chooses weak vessels so that when His supernatural power flows through us, the Lord gets the credit and not the vessel. God looks at us and we curse ourselves and think, oh God, I can't do this. You're a prime candidate. If it's beyond your ability, that means that you're one of those weak, despised, base, nothing things. It's like God put up a sign out here. If you're weak, if you're despised, if you're base, if you're nothing, apply within. That's the kind that God's looking for. It's those of you who think you got it all figured out. God says, I can't use you because you would take credit for it. You think you're going to lean under your own understanding. But see, when God asks you to do something bigger than you and you realize that, God, I can't do it. God, I can't heal this person in a wheelchair. I don't have any power. He says, good, you're the kind of person that I can use because then he'll get the credit for it. 
But you got to quit cursing yourself and only looking at the natural. You got to do like Jesus, look up, receive sight, look beyond yourself and see into the spirit realm. See who you are in Christ. See his power that's on the inside of you. And you've got to begin to receive sight, look beyond yourself. This is what Jesus did. He looked beyond the physical limitations into the spirit realm. And once you get the spirit realm flowing in the natural, anything is possible. Anything is possible. Some of you think, but man, my body hurts. I'm sick all over. And all you're doing is looking at the natural. You aren't looking at yourself that I've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead in here somewhere. I'm going to keep looking until I find it. I'm going to keep speaking until I get it manifest. If you were focused on the answer instead of the problem, cancer is no problem. You've got you to see beyond the natural and see into the spiritual. And anyway, I've, I've gone a long time tonight. I won't share all of this with you, but there are 15, 20 times in scriptures that this look up is talking about more than raising your head. It says when you see all of these signs come to pass, uh, earthquakes, famines, pestilence, and all of these demonic things happening, people turning against God, then look up and lift up your head for your redemption draws nigh. That's not talking about just raising your head. It's talking about look beyond the headlines and recognize that, man, the Lord's coming is coming soon. You should look beyond the natural things and see what's going on in the spiritual realm behind there. Over in Psalms chapter 5, it says, uh, give ear to my prayer, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I cry. Uh, I, in the morning, I will look up. Every morning you are supposed to look up. Again, not talking about raising your head, but looking beyond just the physical, natural things. Looking beyond your own ability Go beyond the challenges and see God's supernatural ability. And you can do all things. Let me show you one passage of scripture and I'll try and quit with this one in Acts chapter seven. This is where Stephen was recounting Jewish history. He had been brought before the religious leaders and they wound up stoning him to death. But he was giving this account and it says that the people were pierced in their heart and they came out against him. In verse, this is uh, Acts chapter seven and in verse 54, it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. He later became Paul. But they stoned Stephen to death. But notice it said, and it goes on to say, let me just read this other part right here. It says um, in verse 59, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, 
receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. So here's Stephen and they came against him. And when they were coming out against him, it says Stephen looked up and said, I see the heavens open and the Lord standing at the right hand of God the Father. Did you know you can turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, and many places in Scripture. And Jesus is always pictured seating at the Father, sitting, sitting at the Father's right hand. But in this instance, he was standing. This was the first Christian martyr. And you know what I believe happened? Jesus actually stood to honor Stephen because he had been faithful and he gave up his life. And here's Jesus standing. And when it says he lifted up his head, this is the same word, anablepo. It means to receive sight, to see twice, to look beyond the natural. He didn't just raise his head, but he was so focused on God, he saw past the persecution and past all of these things. And he saw his Savior standing at the Father's right hand. And you know what? Because of that, if you could just think with me for a moment, if you had people come in out against you, but if you literally saw the heavens open and you saw Jesus, your Savior, standing in honor of you, you know, Stephen was able, I believe, to endure this persecution, to be stoned to death, and I'm not even sure he even felt it because he was so focused on Jesus that it's just like he was immune to it. Most of us, if we were in a situation where they were going to stone us to death, most of us would be so focused on ourselves, on the pain, on the rejection, thinking how unfair this is, and that would cause all of the emotions that most of us could imagine right now that would go through us of the hurt and the pain and the fear and all of these kind of things. But if you could keep your eyes stayed on the Lord, if you could see beyond the physical and see into the spiritual, and if you could see Jesus standing and honoring you, you could endure anything. And you could turn around and say, Father, don't lay this sin to their charge. Actually pray for the very people that are killing you. You know, I've got an experience that is similar. It's, you know, it's not the same thing, but it's similar. But when I was in Vietnam, I was just so in love with the Lord. I was so focused on God that honestly, it's like I wasn't even in Vietnam. I was just seeking God day and night. And we had a situation. I was a chaplain's assistant and we flew out to this place called LZ Prep. And we were there and uh, the chaplain went out and it was a Protestant chaplain, but it was the equivalent of giving the Catholic last rites. We knew that these people were going to be overrun and they were probably going to be killed. And so we flew out there and we held a service with them and we were there about two or two and a half hours. And while we were in that place, it was a place that was smaller than this auditorium. And we took 175 direct mortar hits inside of the perimeter during those two and a half hours. We were under terrible bombardment and you could see the muzzle fire from the weapons. And when uh, I was with the chaplain, we flew out. Our helicopter took a lot of uh, rounds and that hill was overrun within an hour or two after we left. And nearly every person on that hill was killed. There was about a hundred people or so on that hill and nearly everyone was killed. And anyway, I never even thought a thing about this. I never told anybody about it because it's just another day in Vietnam. 
But when I got back, 20 years after being back, I was preaching in Chicago and a man gave me his book and said, I want you to read this book. And it had uh, 10 testimonies of people who had been in Vietnam and his was one of them and he signed the book and gave it to me. So I knew he was going to ask me the next night if I'd read it. So I read his testimony and it was excellent. It was really good about how God had changed his life. And it was so good, I decided I'd read another one. And it was really good. And I wound up staying up all night long reading that book. And what amazed me was there were three of the people in that book that were there during the exact same time that I was, and they were talking about things that I understood. Two of them were in the AmeriCal division that I was in during the exact same time. And I can't prove it because he never gave the name of this LZ landing zone, but he went out to a landing zone that was on the Laotian border and described it, and they got overrun, talked about a chaplain coming in and giving a service right before they were overrun. And I think he was talking about the same time that I was there. I don't know it for sure, but it, it, was, it was a perfect fit. And anyway, as I read this book through the eyes of a person that was an unbeliever at that time, he didn't get saved until he came back. And I read about all that was happening and I looked at it through human eyes. I mean, fear came on me. 20 years after I had been in Vietnam, fear gripped me and I had to stay up and pray in tongues, trying to encourage myself and overcome fear 20 years. And yet when I was there, man, it was just awesome. I mean, we were taking all of these hits. It looked like we could be overrun. I actually had my M16 pointed down the hill, ready to shoot. And I was thinking, God, if I, I was thinking today could be the day. I could see you before the day's over. And I was so excited thinking about, man, I might die today. This could be the day. But then I was praying because I thought, what about these people? They don't know you. And I had love and compassion. And I was sitting there with tears running down my eyes, praying for the people that I was about to shoot. I didn't ever wind up having to shoot them because they didn't get that close, but I could see the muzzle fire from their weapons and I was prepared. And I had love and joy flowing out of me. And I was just thrilled with it. And the reason I say this is, you know what I was doing? I was looking beyond the natural and I was seeing into the spiritual that even if I die, it's no big deal. This is what Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I was looking into the spiritual and I can tell you it's just like terror, fear that I saw through this other man's account of the same situation. It was just like water off a duck's back. I never had a single fear. I had no problems. Man, I was excited. It was actually an exciting time thinking that I can see Jesus today. And I can tell you firsthand, just like what Stephen went through, that you could be sitting there and suffering things and people stoning you to death. But if you've got your eyes focused on Jesus, it's no big deal. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you also be wearied and faint in your mind. The only reason you're weary and fainting and feeling like it's time to give up is because you're looking in the natural and you're seeing that all I've got is a little pot all I've got is five loaves and two fish. It's not enough. 
It's more than enough. If you look beyond the natural and look at who you are in Christ and look that He'll never leave you nor forsake you, that He always makes you to triumph in Christ Jesus. If you were to mix that with faith, I guarantee you the power of God, the oil of God would start flowing. You would see yourself overcome and you could overcome anything that's coming against you. There is no excuse. There are reasons but there is no excuse for people to be living in sickness and poverty and fear and depression and oppression the way that they are. The only reason for it is because they're just looking at their problems in their own human strength and power instead of evaluating who they are. Even Jesus had to look up and look beyond the limitations of the physical and start flowing in the spiritual. Brothers and sisters, if you're born again, you have overcome the world. You've got greater power in you than anything. The Bible says that Jesus is exalted above all names, Philippians chapter two. If it's got a name, Jesus is bigger. If you can put a name to it, if you can name that disease, Jesus is bigger than that. If you can name your problem, Jesus is bigger than that. Anything with a name, he's exalted above every name. And we do not have to approach our problems in our own strength and in our own power. We need to get to where we can see beyond ourselves and see who we are in Christ and see what God has done. Every one of you is anointed by God. The only exception to this would be if you don't know Jesus personally. If you don't know Jesus, then everything I've been saying tonight does not apply to you. You have to receive Jesus as your Savior. You have to have Him living on the inside of you for any of these things to be true. And if you don't know Jesus, I can solve that problem tonight. You could be born again tonight. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Jesus has already paid for your sins. It's not a matter of will he forgive you? He's already forgiven you. The only question is, will you make him the Lord of your life? That's more than just mouthing the words. You've got to make a commitment to him as your Lord. It's not a promise that you'll be perfect because you cannot do that. You will fail, but you have to be willing for him to be Lord. You will fail and he has plenty of grace to be able to deal with it, but you have to be willing to turn your life over and Jesus, I commit my life to you. I want to live for you. If you will do that, the Bible says that you shall be saved. It's that simple. And then every person who got saved, even Jesus' own disciples, he told them, he says, don't go anywhere. Don't tell anybody that I'm risen from the dead. The greatest news that the world has ever heard. He said, don't tell anybody until you receive power from on high. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And when it happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So two things that every person needs. You must be born again. There's a lot of people today that think that because they're a relatively good person that God is going to accept them based on their own goodness. That's not true. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person has to have a Savior. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. 
That's the reason that Jesus came and he paid your debt for you. And it's all dependent upon whether or not you make Jesus your Lord, not on how holy you live. Every person needs to come to a place of accepting of Jesus. And then every person needs to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And I know that there's some of you here that are thinking, oh man, I didn't realize you was one of those tongue talkers. <laughs> you know, on television, I don't spit and say glory to God, duh, and wipe my fevered brow. And I'm not Pentecostal like a lot of people. And so people came, probably some people came to this meeting under false pretenses. But I'm telling you, I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues every day. Man, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And somebody's thinking, somebody's thinking, so do you not think I'm saved because I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? No, you can be saved and not speak in tongues. You can be saved and go to uh, heaven without speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, you can get there quicker because you aren't going to have any power to overcome. You're going to be overcome. You can go to heaven without the gift of speaking in tongues. Somebody says, well, I believe I've got the Holy Spirit and don't speak in tongues. It's possible. I believe I'm not speaking in tongues right now and I've got the Holy Spirit. I had the baptism of the Holy Spirit for three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. But that's because I was a Baptist. <laughs> and I was taught that that stuff was of the devil and I wasn't about to let something like that come out of my mouth. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit doesn't force you to speak in tongues. You don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. You have to pursue it. You have to want it. It is possible to have the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues, but why would you want it? Somebody says, well, it's the least gift. Well, you arrogant thing. Why would you turn down any gift that God has for you? What makes you think you're only going to go for the best thing? I want everything that God's got for me. And I'm telling you, speaking in tongues is powerful. Speaking in tongues is an awesome, awesome thing. So every person in here needs to be born again and needs to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And I tell you, that's just the beginning place, but those are absolute essentials for victory in Jesus. You cannot operate in what I've talked about tonight on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken you. So is there anybody in here tonight who would say, I need either one or both of those things. I either need to be born again and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you and help you to receive tonight. Put your hand up. Be bold with it. Praise the Lord. Awesome. You know, I know some of you are thinking, what are you going to do? I'm going to pray for you and give you a free book. I hadn't got a church for you to join. We aren't going to push you over. We aren't going to do anything except pray and help you. We just want you to receive. I'm telling you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed my life. You can ask my sister. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I became a stark, raving, mad fanatic overnight. It changed me. 
It transformed my life. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know that there's some of you that didn't raise your hand. You think, well, this is not what they preach in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it's real. It'll change your life. Amen? You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but were too chicken to do it, would you just get up out of your chair and come forward and stand right here and I want to pray with you and help you to receive. Just come right down here to the front. Praise God. Awesome, brother. Awesome, awesome. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people just like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. You can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. Or you can write us at Post Office Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Remember, you can always listen to Andrew's messages at awmi.net. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.